morning. So some of you may have heard um, of this Oscar-winning director. Um, his name is Ang Lee. Um, maybe you haven't heard of him, but you've heard of some of his films. Uh, Sense and Sensibility, yes? Uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and, and many others. Um, a few years back, though, um, Ang was very vulnerable in an interview. And, and this is actually what he said about himself, which is quite interesting. He said, quote, I am a drifter and an outsider. There's not one single environment to which I can totally belong. It's quite a statement, isn't it? He feels like someone who doesn't know where he belongs. He's, he's a misfit, even though he's, even though he's a super successful guy. Um, he doesn't feel, he feels alienated. He feels uh, excluded. I wonder if you can relate to that. Maybe post-COVID you're feeling that. Truth is, being an outsider is a reality that many of us have experienced. But the most important thing is beyond feeling awkward socially, is that we're not an outsider outside of God's kingdom. But there are some here, undoubtedly, sitting here now that are currently, as I speak, outside of the kingdom of God. For whatever reason, you haven't yet closed with Christ. And so what I want you to see in the pages of Matthew's gospel this morning is what happens when Jesus encounters an outsider and her response to Jesus. So she's an outsider and she becomes an insider. How does that happen? So in order to answer that, we're going to break down today's text in three bits. First, the context. And that's in verses 21 through 22. Second, the conversation. And that is in verses 23 through 28. And finally, the crowds. And that's in verses 29 through 31. The context, the conversation, the crowds. That's what we're going to see as we look at Matthew's gospel this morning. But before we do, let's go to the Lord now. Let's pray that he would bless his word as it's taught. Father, we thank you that you speak to us in your scriptures. We pray this morning you would help us understand the truth about Jesus and show us how much we need him. We also ask that you'd give us faith, just like the woman in this story, that the same Jesus she met might also meet with us and have mercy on us. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, am I the only one who finds today's passage a bit troubling? <laughs> You've got this woman in a dire situation. Her daughter is demon-possessed. Just imagine your child, now you might think that if you've got teenagers, but, but in, in all seriousness, your child is demon-possessed, completely taken over 
personality, everything, by a demon. Who knows what kind of crazy things were happening in this woman's house. Not to mention this poor mom, how many sleepless nights she would have had. We don't encounter people who says, how's your child? I mean, jokingly, they might say, you know, my child's a little demon. But, but in all seriousness, her child is completely taken over by this demon. And she is in a dire, desperate situation. What's interesting about the text, too, is that it fails to mention her husband. Bit of a conjecture here, but she could be a single mom. So, end of a rope, desperate situation. Who better, who better than to call on, well, Jesus, right? But how does the Lord respond to her cries for help? He gives her the cold shoulder. He ignores her. And then, to make matters worse, the disciples get annoyed. They lean over to Jesus and say, Jesus, tell her to bugger off. At this point, you'd think he's going to say, all right, guys, guys, really? Because <laughs> he corrects them quite often, right? You think he's going to sort of reel them in and say, that's enough. And he's going to set things straight with this woman. Instead, he pulls out the race card and proceeds to call her a dog. Is that the Jesus they taught you about in Sunday school growing up as a kid on the flannel graph boards? Jerk Jesus? I mean, if somebody wanted to cherry pick a passage in the Bible that proves that Jesus isn't woke, that proves that Jesus is a chauvinist pig, this would be it, right? So what do we do with this text? What are we to make of it? What's going on here? We need to take, obviously, a closer look. And as we do, I hope you'll begin to see that Jesus, in all reality, he isn't pushing this woman away. As much as he's trying to draw her out. And he uses this encounter that we see in Matthew's text to teach us who the insiders and who the outsiders really are in his kingdom and how they enter from an outsider to an insider. So let's jump into it. Let's, let's set the context in chapter 15, verse 21. The context comes to us here in the 21st verse, if you're following along in Matthew's gospel, and then says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So, I don't know if you remember last week, but Jesus had this big theological smackdown with the scribes and the Pharisees, right? And after this point, things are getting quite heated, right? It was over hand washing, but nevertheless, things are, you can feel, you can feel the heat turning up. So Jesus and his disciples decide to pack up camp and head northwest. You can see a, a map here. I don't know how clear it'll be, but um, they decide to head northwest. Um, Tyre and Sidon were two Phoenician cities located on the Mediterranean coast, roughly 60 Ks from Galilee. Now, whether they arrived at these exact cities or not, 
is kind of beside the point. Matthew wants us to focus on the conversation that happens between Jesus and this woman. And check out how he flags it for us in the following verse with the, with the word, behold. Right? You're just tracking along and boom, behold. Verse 22, you see that? And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So Jesus had withdrawn into Tyre and Sod in order to get away from public ministry and have a time of privacy. But out of the blue, this woman intrudes on his privacy. And how is she described? What's, how is she described there? She's a Canaanite. Why include that detail? Why bother talking about that? Especially when you consider how Mark depicts this woman in his gospel in Mark chapter 7. Look at here. Mark 7 says this, Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She is of Syrian descent, but speaks Greek. That's all that means. To say she's a Syrophoenician simply describes the political or geographical uh, term who she is of that day. Okay. So why do you think Matthew calls her a Canaanite? And ready for this? Newsflash. There were no Canaanites in Jesus' day. The very spot Jesus is standing, speaking, hasn't been called Canaan for centuries. The Canaanites were extinct. Also, this word used here, it's only used once in the New Testament, right here. Just right here. That's the only time it's used. So why in the world does Matthew call her a Canaanite? Is he just confused? Did he not have his facts straight? No. I think it's meant to trigger something for you. Like I've said this before, Matthew does this a lot. He uses things that trigger something in your mind. Like when I say, Aussie kids are what? That's right. See? Boom. You didn't even hesitate. Which bank? Yeah, see? And I'm not even from here, right? I'm, I'm the outsider coming in, right? Matthew does this, drops this little Canaanite term in here to trigger something in our minds. I mean, think about the Old Testament for a moment, particularly the period when Israel entered the promised land. What sort of associations did the Canaanites have? They were the arch enemies, the bad guys, right? The very people God said to drive out. Why? Because they would be a cancer. Their idolatry, their paganism would actually be cancerous to the nation of Israel. They are not God's people. They are Dogs, outsiders. Now, that's the context. But we have to move on to the conversation. The conversation, because the dialogue that occurs between Jesus and this Canaanite woman really serves as the centerpiece. 
No doubt a miraculous healing happens, but the spotlight seems to shine brightest on this conversation. So let's listen in on their conversation, shall we? In verse 22. This Canaanite woman starts off by calling him Lord. She'll use that phrase two more times, three in total in this section. But notice the other title. She says in verse 22, can you see it there? Son of who? David. It's not the first time Matthew's flagged this for us. The gospel starts off this way. In fact, the very first verse in Matthew's gospel, right? Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. This theme of David's greater son coming as the promised king, Messiah. It's interesting though here, it's coming from the mouth of a Gentile. Well, she's likely heard reports about this Jewish Messiah, right? I mean, maybe she's just copying little phrases she's hearing and throwing out and see if she can get his attention. Um, I think there's probably more going on than meets the eye here, even in terms of what Matthew's doing using this title. But nevertheless, there she is, crying out on the heels, running after them, this woman in a dire situation, Son of David, son of David. She just won't stop. She keeps, keeps crying out, keeps crying out. And how does Jesus respond? Stone silence. I'll tell you who's not silent though. <laughs> the disciples. They're irritated by this persistent woman who keeps following out and crying after them. It might be the case where they lean over to, tor- to Jesus and they say, Lord, we, we know you can do this. Just give her what she's after so she can just take a hike. Finally, in verse 24, Jesus breaks his silence. However, look closely. It's maybe not, I don't know, it, it feels, you can tell me what you think about this afterwards, but it doesn't seem like he's actually directly addressing her quite yet. If you look in verse 24, the way in which he says it, remember she's been sort of chasing after them, and it's almost like he just turns to the boys' club and says, ah, boys, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. See what I mean here? Look at verse 24. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It almost seems that Jesus is, is responding mainly to the disciples. Obviously, he speaks loud enough, though, to where she overhears it, right? But the message is clear, is it not? I came for my people. You are not one of my people. You are an outsider. This excludes her. This excludes her from benefiting from Jesus' healing ministry. That's what he's saying. I, 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 sure, I might, you might be in a dire situation, but look, you're not one of my people here. As a Jew, Jesus narrowed his energies to reaching his own people. So technically speaking, this woman's plea for help falls outside of the jurisdiction of his ministry, you see? As he's the Jewish Messiah, after all. You'd think once she overheard this, she'd go, jerk, I'm gonna go do, find someone else that can help me, Right? That's what I would have done. I would have had worse things to say, probably. You'd think it's done and dusted at this point, but, but, but notice her faith. She remains undeterred. 
And this time she comes kneeling, you see? Verse 25, it, it reads it, in such a way, it paints a picture of her kneeling before Jesus. She's literally on her hands and knees begging him, help me, Lord. I mean, having this picture in your mind, doesn't your heart go out to this poor lady? And at this point, Jesus finally speaks to her. But it sort of goes from bad to worse. It's kind of like me off script. Verse 26. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. <laughs> is that in your Bible? <laughs> Honestly. And you know, if this story ended here, man, we'd be in trouble. She'd be in trouble. Right? But let's step back for a second. Bread represents the privileges intended for the Jews. And such benefits should not be cast to outsiders. Remember, connect that with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, think about it logically. Parents usually feed their kids first and the pets get the scraps, right? You don't take, you know, a nice sausage and hand, well, you might hand it to your dog, but typically you feed it to your kids and, you know, your dog gets the scraps. Or your guinea pig gets, at my house it's a guinea pig. And the guinea pig gets, you know, I, I, yesterday I cut up cucumbers for the kids and I said, give, this to your, give the rest to your guinea pig, okay? Parents usually feed their kids first. And to throw bread to dogs then meant to take that which belongs to Jews and give it to the Gentiles. Now, listen here. As a master teacher, what's Jesus doing? Intentionally gives this analogy to actually challenge her, to draw her out. It might seem, I guess, just on face value that he's kind of just, whoa. But, but what's he doing? Like, like any good teacher, sometimes, what does a teacher do? They aim to draw out a student's best insight by a deliberate challenge, right? Which does not necessarily represent their view. Dan might do this in the equipped class. He's, he's pulling, he's trying to draw you out. He might not even believe some of those things, but he's, he's trying to get, you see what I'm saying? Now, in verse 26, it's fascinating how she responds. She said, she agrees. Yes, Lord. Yet, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She doesn't disagree, but is quick to flip his analogy so that it works in her favor. Remember, the Canaanites were the longstanding enemies of Israel. They were not God's children. They were the defiled ones. They were the dogs. You see, her reply is based not on just quick, savvy witticism. It's not just the desperation of a mother. It's not arguing. Her reply was showing true and genuine faith by understanding her position as an outsider in need of Christ. Despite the priority of the Jews, Jesus is willing to share the blessings with a non-Jew like this woman. Why? Her faith. Look at, look at how the following verse, it really brings out the emotional response of Jesus here. Oh, woman, you see that? Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman. He responded emotionally to her trust. It, it moved him deeply. 
Her faith was great because it revealed humble submission to God's will and expressed confidence in something only Jesus could do. R.T. France, one of my favorite commentators on the Gospel of Matthew, says this, that a, quote, Canaanite of all people should receive the compassionate ministry of Israel's Messiah would be a symbol about the universality of the gospel. Yes, Jesus had come to save God's people, Israel, but that's not all. He has come to save people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. That's when you get to the end of the gospel. What is, of Matthew, what does he say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. See, this event foreshadows that when the true people of God will transcend the boundaries of culture and nationality. What a beautiful picture this is. And then her daughter is healed. You see it? Then Jesus answered, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The context, the conversation, and the crowds. Before we move on to our final point, I want to just sort of see if we can pull back for a moment here and dig up some good gospel truths. One thing that's interesting is when you compare this text to last week, there's quite a contrast between this woman who's an outsider to the religious elite. Would you agree? Massive. What do the religious, smug, self-righteous Pharisees do? They're worried about all the external things. And they come to challenge Jesus. And they're, they, now that relationship is disintegrated. Whereas what does this woman do who's an outsider? She comes in humility, on her knees, acknowledging that he is, in fact, the true Davidic son. You see the difference? Huge contrast between the smug Pharisees in the previous passage and this complete outsider woman who receives grace. Actually, mercy. Remember, that's what she was after. Have mercy on me. Only those who realize that they need grace are the ones who are actually going to receive it. You see, you don't think you need mercy if you feel smug yourself, if you feel good about yourself, and if you can point to your neighbors and say, well, I'm not as bad as those people, you know? I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a pretty good gal. I've you know, made some mistakes. But it's only those who are poor in spirit, Jesus said, will inherit the kingdom of God. You come and it is the end of you. You come broken and contrite. You realize that your sin has offended a holy God and he is just to condemn you for that sin against him. You've offended him. You are separated from him. And the only chance you have of being reconciled to him is by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. Faith, you see, is the key. It's faith. You, you, you don't like, it's not faith, it's, not faith plus this, it's faith in Christ, his finished work on the cross. Huge contrast. You know what's interesting as well? Is this Canaanite woman, again, we sort of, hopefully, does that term make a little bit more sense now, right? When you go to the very, very beginning of Matthew's gospel, in the genealogy, you know who he lists there? Two outsiders. Two Canaanite women. 
So again, you're already getting a snapshot. You're already getting a picture of this worldwide gospel. The people of God are not defined by ethnicity, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Glorious gospel truth that we, that we just can't get away from in Matthew's gospel. It's, just, it's everywhere. Now let's get to the crowds. We've looked at the context. We've eavesdropped on the conversation. Now the crowds. Get some more outsiders here. Jesus, verse 29, went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. So now he's come back, back to where he was. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled, healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And notice this phrase. I, I don't think this is just a throwaway phrase. They glorified the God of Israel. Do you remember what he, we were just talking about? Outsiders, insiders. And now here are all these outsiders, the crippled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Here's this Canaanite woman. And what are they doing? Glorifying the God of Israel. When the Lord saves you, you praise him. You thank him for his kindness. You worship him in the way that you live. These crowds, these outsiders, these outcasts, these misfits are brought into the kingdom. Where are you this morning, friend? I know you're here, but sitting here doesn't place you in the kingdom, you see? It's only through faith in Christ. Have you come to the place where you've placed your faith in Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life? I plead with you, friend. Don't let another day go by. Turn to Jesus today. Be forgiven of your sin. Be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Lord, it is an incredible encouragement to reflect upon your kindness, your grace, your mercy shown to outsiders. Lord, it reminds us that every one of us sitting here that knows you, Lord, every one of us was born into this world depraved, fallen, broken, a complete outsider to your kingdom. And it's because of your grace, Lord, you gave us life, opened up your word to us through the gospel of your son, and you gave us hope and peace. Lord, we pray if there's any here that have not, just Lord, for whatever reason, they've just been putting it off. They, I'll do that later. Lord, would you help them n not to leave here? Lord, not, not to sit comfortably, not to, be a, not to play the Pharisee and, and be smug, but to realize that they need you. They need your grace. We pray, Lord, that you'd grant them repentance. They'll never do it on their own. We pray that in your mercy you would do so. In Christ's name, amen.